Welcome to Unsanctimonious, the podcast where two irreverent pastors explore the Bible using the Revised Common Lectionary while doing their best to be unsanctimonious. What does that mean? Well, if the word sanctimonious means self-righteous, holier-than-thou, smug, falsely pious, pompous, self-satisfied, or prideful, we want to be the opposite of that. Your hosts are Jonathan Kleinsmith and the Reverend Mark Jardine. And even though we're both pastors, we won't pretend to have it all figured out. Spoiler alert, no pastor, theologian, or Bible scholar actually does. But we do believe that God is revealed in the reading of these holy words, and our hope is that by listening to this podcast, you might have an encounter with God as well. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into the world's all-time best-selling book and see how it might be speaking to us today. Hello and welcome to the Unsanctimonious Podcast, the only podcast that I know of that features me and Mark uh, <laughs> as the uh, as the uh, the hosts. Uh, I We're pretty am, much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, in fact, it's the number one rated podcast that features Mark and I, and so. Uh, I, I don't think we're stepping out out of bounds a little bit to say that uh, you know those are actual honorifics that we can claim to be true. That's right. We should get a plaque. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we should we should get a plaque. Well, we don't know where you are listening from, but uh, today, as we record this message, uh, we are actually experiencing some wonderful snow here in the Oklahoma City metro, which is is pretty cool. I'm, I'm down with that. And, and it is the season, right? We are, well, technically uh, right. we're in the season of Advent, not in the season of Christmas yet, but uh, it's all gearing towards the same thing, right? Right. Right. And what you're going to, what we're going to talk about today is actually after Christmas. I so. know it's great. By the time you hear this, you will probably have opened most of your presents. Yes. Or your lumps of coal. <laughs> well, some of us just hope for whatever we get, right? <laughs> yeah, my kids, uh, they, my kids tried to, uh, they tried to, uh, to test the limits the other day. They said, you know, oh, well, you, you know, it doesn't matter if we're bad because Santa is, you know, I mean, you guys are going to buy us presents even if Santa doesn't bring us anything. And I said, well, you know, we could just buy lumps of coal too. And my son, who's actually pretty smart as an eight-year-old, but he really fell hook, line, and sinker into this one and said, uh, you can't buy coal. They don't just sell that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so uh, guess what? Little... Uh, charcoal is going to be on our list of things to buy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's gonna be an exciting, uh, exciting Christmas at the Kleinsmith household. Yeah, so. Job, Job, and Sadie are in for a rude surprise. But, anyways, we're not here to talk about them. We're talking. <laughs> we're here to talk about the gift that God gave us that came into the world uh, on the night of uh, Christmas, and uh, and uh, who brings light to the whole world. And so, if you are new to this podcast, uh, normally we don't talk about uh, giving people uh, lumps of coal. But uh, we instead will explore the Bible together. We go through the Revised Common Lectionary, pick a reading from each week, and ask that scripture four questions. The, the questions are these. Uh, what is the ancient problem that the scripture is trying to address? What ancient solutions might it have been offering to its original audience? 
what modern problems might this scripture be speaking to today, and what modern solutions might it be offering to us, modern day people? So uh, we like to read out of the Common English Bible, but it is not uh, it is not the best translation in the world to us. It's just the one that seems to be the most accessible and easy to read. So if you want to use a different translation, that is totally up to you. Today, we'll be reading out of Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And uh, Mark, unless you unless you have any uh, great reason for me not to, I'm just going to jump right in. Let's, let's dive in. Let's get with it. We're going we're gonna to get, uh, get with it with the scripture. So here we go. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. When eight days had passed, Jesus's parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing in accordance with the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your innermost being too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, but worshiped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth in Galilee. The child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right, Mark, uh, as is customary, I believe we'll let you go first. Uh, so what, uh, what's the ancient problem that the scripture is trying to address? And, and give us, you know, just a little bit of uh, the, the, the background, I guess, as well. Well, this is, uh, <clears throat> this passage, of course, uh, immediately follows the birth of Jesus, the narrative of the birth of Jesus as that we celebrate and remember at Christmas. And uh, it was customary that on the eighth day, uh, when the eighth day had passed, there would be a circumcision. And the circumcision was the process of circumcising a male child meant that this child was now accepted into the covenant community. 
And uh, this is very important because what's going on here is you hear the word law several times in this passage. And the problem here was, is that, you know, these people have been waiting for a Messiah. Uh, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish people have been waiting for Israel, have been waiting for a Messiah all these years to come. But the Messiah had to fulfill the law. He couldn't just be some sort of abstract uh, Messiah out here. If there's such a thing as an abstract Messiah. But anyway. It sounds like a good name for like a punk band. A punk band. There you go. <laughs> abstract I, Messiah. Well, when, you, when you start your punk band, I'll be listening for that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but it had to be, uh, this had to be uh, in congruence or go along with fulfilling the law of the Old Testament. And so several times in this particular passage, it talks about the fulfillment of the law as being what's going on here. And so the people have been waiting for Messiah. They, yes, they were under oppression by the uh, Roman, Roman Empire, the occupying forces. Uh, they had been certainly under the uh, Old Testament pharisaical, that rigidity of that law. And, and so they were looking for a Messiah to redeem them from uh, all of that, uh, the, the Roman occupation, and even from the rigidity of the law that had oppressed the poor people of the day. And we know that Mary and Joseph were poor. We know that by the offering that they came and they gave there in the 28th verse. That's oh, what, yeah, this is great. Yeah, because they gave uh, turtle do a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. That was the offering of a poor family. Right. A wealthy family would have given a lamb and pigeons or lamb and turtle doves. So it's very symbolic, very important for us to realize that these were very poor and common people in that day and time. And they were not of any hierarchy. They were not of any, as far as the world understood anyway, they were not of any means or any uh, great power or authority. They were common people. Right. And. Uh, but that fulfilled the law as well, uh, because once again, uh, Mary, uh, being the mother of Jesus, the mother had to be purified, and there was a ritual of purification that went on after the birth of a child, and they had to bring an offering to the temple as part of that, and this was the offering for that, and there was a 33-day uh, period uh, between before uh, she was pure again, and this would have occurred uh, somewhere in that, in that time frame, early in that time frame, when this offering would have been made. And so, uh, so all that is to fulfill the law once again. And uh, so anyway, so, so I think the ancient problem here is really one of waiting for a Messiah. And this, this Messiah uh, needs to fulfill the law and make sense with the Old Testament uh, law in order to be able to really be the Messiah that the people needed. And maybe not exactly what they were looking for, which we get to later on, we discover as we go through Jesus's life. Uh, it wasn't exactly what the people thought they were going to get, but uh, these things were necessary for him to uh, be able to be identified as the Messiah. And it, there was a hiddenness about who Jesus was, certainly. I mean, certainly Herod had, you know, his, his thing about uh, knowing that there, he was going to be this firstborn male and then going after him and everything else. Uh, but really, the overall population probably had no idea who he was. And so when he arrives at the temple, uh, there is no concept that this is the Messiah here, as far as just the people there at the temple knowing that. 
It's not like they rolled out a red carpet and said, oh, here comes Jesus, yay. No, they didn't. It was like, well, here's a poor couple uh, from Bethlehem uh, with a child uh, and a little boy, and uh, he needs to be circumcised, and they need to make their offering and go about their business. And that's the way it would have been. And uh, because there would have been others coming to the temple too. This was not like Jesus was the only one showing up here. It was like there was, I don't know, you know, I have no idea what the number would have been, but there would, this would not, this would have been occurring several times a day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so uh, this is just, you know, run of the mill, fulfilling the law, but the specialness comes and we'll get to that in the modern, in the uh, ancient solution. We get to Simon, Simeon and Anna. Yeah, Simeon and Anna, they, they are more patient than I probably am. Yes, uh, <laughs> more than I, by a long But time. no, yeah, just to, to harp on that point a little bit longer is, uh, you know, uh, it says Joseph, you know, traditionally we say Joseph was a carpenter, right? That, that word tecton uh, in the Greek, it, it means, it can mean day laborer, it can mean, uh, it can mean mason, right? And so, um Joseph is a guy with a manual labor type of job. He is, he is not uh, a rich person by any means. And the fact that they had to go to Bethlehem t- for the census um, means that probably Joseph had sold or his family had sold their ancestral land. And so they were, they were not even rich enough to keep the land that they had. Um, so they are, they, are, they are probably quite um, you know, humble people, right? And, um, you know, we could talk about the gift of the Magi and, and those things and, and say, well, maybe they had a little bit of, of fundage to, to do things or whatever. But really, uh, Jesus, uh, if you think about just the, the, the picture that we're really presented in this um, gospel presentation in, in Luke um, and Matthew even, um, is uh, we get this sense that the creator of the universe has stepped down into um you know the 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 realm of humanity in the most humble way possible right he is um he has come to be um a helpless babe um in in really what would be uh you know by the standards of that time kind of a backwater place, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Judea is just a backwater province of the Roman Empire. It is unimportant. The people are oppressed by the Romans. Um, and you have this other guy, um, Caesar Augustus, um, who's sitting in Rome, and he has told everyone that he is the savior of the world, right? We have this, there's this ancient document called the Prene Calendar that that where he, he says that there's no other he- name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar, right? And this proclamation that every Roman citizen has to make is that Caesar is Lord. And, uh, you know, that, that sounds like really familiar language to us. And that's because it is like yeah. the early, the early Christians make a, a, a startlingly different statement about who is in control and who has power. And, and really, it starts with this really humble origin story, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, my you, and we know that Jesus probably wasn't actually born um, like uh, in a barn necessarily, but a place where there would be livestock, right? So our, our Savior's kind of 
He's born in uh, about as humble of a, a place as you can get. And uh, that offering really highlights it, right? I mean, if you, if you want to check it out, you can go to Leviticus and you can see that, that that's the offering that, um, that you could only make that offering if you couldn't afford the other one. And so Jesus's family is, is uh, of humble origins. And I think that's, that speaks well when we get to the modern problem. But, but I'll, let's talk about the ancient solution real fast. I think the ancient solution, like I referred to a minute ago, lies in Anna and Simeon's, uh, they're, they're just, you know, here it is in this parade, we'll say, of children coming in to be circumcised, males being circumcised, and mothers paying the purification offering, and right. you know, all those things going on, and just, there it is, Simeon sees him, and Simeon knows the Holy Spirit, I think that's the word, the Holy Spirit came upon him, right. and he knew this was the Messiah. He had waited. He had been told by the Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died. And he knows this is it. This is Jesus. You know, I don't know how many kids were there and what was going on, but I can just imagine it was fairly chaotic. Uh, right. When you're circumcising firstborn males and all this stuff's going on. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And here's Simeon just, you know, doing whatever Simeon was doing, strolling through there. And he sees Jesus and he's like, and Mary and Joseph, and he's like, there he is. That's the Messiah. And uh, he, uh, of course, he responds with, you know, coming up and speaking to them. And he begins to tell them that, uh, uh, you know, they've done what's customary. And uh, uh, I like this uh, in 32. It is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. Mm. So Simeon at that point makes the statement that Jesus didn't just come now to save the Hebrews, the Israelites from the occupation and be their Messiah. He came as a revelation to the Gentiles too. So he really, Simeon in a nutshell, opens up the covenant to everyone right. in just those words. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we sometimes get to the point and say, okay, well, he opened, Jesus opened up to the covenant to the whole world. Yes, he did. But right there, Simeon proclaims what Jesus' role is. And it's much bigger than what the Hebrew people had anticipated a Messiah would come to do. A Messiah was to come to save them. But this Messiah came to save those Gentiles or heathen or whatever you want to call the Gentiles uh, of that day. And, uh, you know, and I love it that, you know, Mary and Joseph were just amazed about this. I mean, they had to be blown away because here they are, they've come, they, you know, they're people of very humble means as we've talked about. Uh, they've made the sacrifice. They've had the circumcision. They're tired. They're dirty because right. they've been on this traveling trek in. And then this guy comes up to me, tells them who their son is. <laughs> And Mary knows this, you know, she's been told by the angel. Joseph's been told by the angel. Uh, they know who he is, but no one's, no one's given him anything special about that. And here's this old guy, and he is an old guy, by the way. He waited a long time for this. Right. Uh, and he comes up and says, uh, this is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And he blesses them and uh, said to Mary, the boy is assigned to, to be the cause of falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign of the generation gen that generates opposition. 
and uh, she knew that. And you know, if you go to scripture and other places, it talks about being Jesus was the cornerstone, but it also says he would be the salvation as a cornerstone, he'd be the salvation, but he'd also be the stumbling block for some, right? And so, this, this all comes together with Simeon's prophecy, with his uh, with the spirit that's working in him, and uh, you know. Then you get Anna, and she only gets us, you know, like three verses here. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> we don't know exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I have I have a feeling Anna had a lot more to say than what's recorded in the scripture. Right. Uh, but I think she concurs. You know, definitely she concurs with Simeon's prophecy. She's a prophet in the line of female prophets of the Old Testament, and uh, you know she's eighty-four years old. She's now an eighty-four-year-old widow. Right. And she too has waited for this Messiah. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, you know, she didn't leave the temple area. She fasts and prayed night and day. And she's praying for this Messiah. She's praying for this Messiah. And uh, she praises God. I mean, I, I can see tears rolling down her cheeks mm -hmm. as she sees Jesus for the first time. And, uh, you know, the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, she, you know, so, so here's Jesus. I guess the ancient solution is uh, that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And it's even a step beyond the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. It is now opening up the Old Testament and the, and the covenant to the whole world with right. a new covenant. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's, uh, anyway, so as I look at this, and I read this passage is just, I, I think, you know, certainly the first part we're talking about the ritual and the rules and the, the order that needed to happen, which is important to our lives. We'll get to that in the modern solution, but it's, it's, uh, to me, the exciting part is this Simeon and Anna's encounter with Jesus. And in right. fact, they know, mm -hmm. and they, 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 they don't even talk to him to know they or talk to the parents. They, they see him. And the Holy Spirit moves them to him and they know, and then everything's laid out there. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's something for us to remember, right? Like a lot of the religious imagery we get, like, you know, paintings from the middle ages, like Jesus, well, first of all, some of them are really creepy, right? Like Jesus is a full, <laughs> a, a fully grown man. That's the size of a baby. Or, yes, you know? yes. Uh, but at least at, at the very least, a lot of times he's got like a halo or a glow about him. And you could tell that this is the holy child, right? Um, Anna and Simeon did not see, like they didn't have, like there wasn't like this glowing, uh, like eat at Joe's sign that followed Jesus around <laughs> and pointed him out uh, to people all the time, right? And, um, you know, from from all appearances, he probably just appeared to be a a, a young uh, child that had, you know, humble parents and, right. uh, they were there, you know, doing their religious duty. Like they had no real reason. Um, you know, it, it's because, you know, that the scripture makes it pretty clear. They don't know Jesus's family before this happens. Right. So right. maybe if they'd known who he was, they could have said, well, you know, scripture says the savior is going to come out of Bethlehem or blah, 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 blah. Uh, but they don't know any of that stuff. They just see, uh, the child and the Holy spirit speaks to them. Mm. Right. And, and um, they have nothing else to go on except for um, the idea that the Holy Spirit has revealed this to them. And, and that, that for me is, is a fascinating thing, but I think you're, you're, you, you point to the right, um, the right uh, 
ancient solution on this is that is that God has revealed to them that um, their wait is is over in a way that that their um, this long sort of um, struggle um, with uh, oppression that the Israelite people have faced um, is going to be ended. But not only that, God is going to end all of the oppression in the mm. world through this child of Jesus. And mm. I think that that's good news for us in good in modern times. But I'm not sure how. So <laughs> let's talk about the modern problem. Well, I think, I think there's, you know, part of our challenge in, in the modern world is, uh, you know, it's sort of similar to what they were doing. Uh, mm-hmm. We have lost ritual. Right. We have lost uh, much of that in our busyness and in everything we do and in trying to make everything easy and simple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Jesus needs to go to the temple to be circumcised. Well, you know, hey, 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 we'll get there someday, you know, right, right. and, uh, you know, no point in getting in a rush on that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we take away some of that ritual. We take away some of that and that somehow in doing some of these things, we take away the ability of the Holy Spirit to engage in our lives in the way that the Spirit was able to engage in Simeon and Anna's. You know, right. I think I think about them and I think, you know, they've been practicing rituals. They've been practicing. There's they're praying. You know, she's been praying, you know, night and day for years now and fasting. Those are all ritual activities. Mm-hmm. And. You know, and then she's her eyes, you know, her the spirit works in her and she she knows that this is the Messiah. Right. And I think part of us is we want we want it to be easy. We want it to be like we want the, the eat at Joe's sign to pop up. <laughs> yeah, you know that that's the way we want it. And I, I'll speak speak this for us uh, North American Christians. We we like it easy. We like fast food. We like fast sure. religion. We like all that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I, I you know and that's that's where we live. But I think when you look at this passage, that is part of our modern problem is that we have tried to make it so simple and so easy when it's never was intended to be that simple and easy uh, as we have tried to turn it into to some degree. Yeah, I think that, you know, we, especially, right, uh, we, we would kind of say we're, we're sort of in the strain of Protestant Christians and, and we, we have a tendency to attack ritual in a, in mm-hmm. a way and say that, uh, you know what's important is the relationship of, with God, and 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 that is true. Like I, I'm not going to argue that that you know that our relationship in God with God is more important than legalistic following of rituals. But I don't think uh, Anna or Simeon were being uh, legalistic. Mm-mm. In I think they were being faithful, mm-hmm. and by being faithful, they were able to see. You know that the Spirit was able to reveal to them at the right time what was happening, like who was in their midst. Right. Uh, and, and so I, I think, you know, uh, the, the benefit of, of ritually, uh, doing things is that, you know, not that they, they weren't just for the activities themselves, right. The prayer and the fasting, and it wasn't just to do them. It was so that you might be in relationship with God. So you might experience this, this goodness and, and, um, and this love that God has for you, uh, that yeah. you wouldn't be able to if you had just ignored God altogether. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a distinction here that we need to make. 
between legalism, which is what we get into when we just do the act to, you know, check it off the daily thing. You know, we right. prayed or we did whatever. Right. Do faithfulness. Mm, yeah. And I think I think what we're calling for here and what was going on here with uh, Simeon and Anna was they were people who had were very faithful. Right. And they did it out of faith and out of love. And it came from their hearts to pray and fast and all this stuff so they would be open to when the spirit came in to yes. when the spirit availed itself to them right and uh so you know i i think the thing is is you know the disciplines the ritual uh, aren't ends of themselves but they are an act of an extension of our faithfulness to god that leads to these holy moments being able to occur in our lives right no, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, um, another uh, modern problem is just the sort of, um, I guess, waiting on God is not something that, that's easy for us. You just kind of right. alluded to it with, uh, with our sort of modern 21st century understanding of God. We want God to be as convenient as uh, our iTunes account or right. our pay at the pump uh, or, right. or our Amazon shopping, right? We like, we like, we, we are a culture that thrives um, on uh, instant gratification right. and the easy way and convenience. And um, I don't think that when Simeon was, uh, you know, I don't think when he was sitting there waiting to die, like see the savior before he died, that he was thinking, man, this sure is taking a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure Anna could have found something more entertaining to do than, uh, than to, uh, you know, wait to, to prophesy over the Messiah. But, um, you know, the, the waiting, the patience pays off for both of them. Right. And I, I think the patience pays off. I think the patience and the waiting also makes uh, his arrival even more dramatic. Right. You know, uh, sometimes in our quest for instant gratification, we lose the joy of when something actually good does happen, when something yeah. actually wonderful happens, because we just expect it and expect yeah. the next wonderful thing to happen. And uh, so I, I think, you know, uh, the challenge here is that, uh, you know, we have to be willing to sit and wait, which is hard for us to do. We have to be willing to faithfully live the life mm -hmm. so that we're open and available. And we have to be humble about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those are three big challenges for me uh and uh so i you know i may be the exception of the rule and everyone else out right there is, yeah oh, the I'm, rest of us are really patient well that's good that's good i'm glad to hear that you know i'm, I'm a man who makes lists and targets lists and i you know I, I got my monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday list right and these things are supposed to happen and boom 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 and so this whole idea of waiting on god is like okay well yeah okay i, I i'll do that but what date should i put that down on Right. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a friend uh I have a friend who is is in ministry and he's he he's we kind of followed the same trajectory in a couple of ways. Like we were both in youth ministry for a while, and then we both 
you know, went through the, the route of uh, becoming, uh, becoming, well, I became an elder, he became a deacon in the United Methodist Church, but, you know, sort of gone down the same path of ordination and everything like that. And he's the kind of guy, uh, when he was doing youth ministry, he was planning four years out, right? Like he had a four-year plan in ministry and he would go through like each student that he came into contact with. He's like, where do I want to see this student get in their walk with Christ in four years? Like, and, and he would plan out every ministry detail he could to a T. Um, now he's in charge of a ministry where um, it is uh, it is a large ministry uh, at a, and it's at, at the university level and he has to raise his own funds and he's got to do um, all these things in the middle of a pandemic. So he has to change everything that he's ever done before. And he was, he was saying, this is almost impossible for me to do because I, I not only know what's going to happen, not, I only do not know what's not going to happen in four years. I don't know what's going to happen in one year. Yeah. Right? And I don't even really know what's going to happen in six months. And, uh, and that's a scary place to be. And, and he said, uh, you know, he, he told me these, uh, I wish I was at my, my other desk, but, uh, he, I, I wrote these three things down. Um, he, he, he asked himself three questions, right? Like, uh, what is this situation, uh, teaching me about God? What is it teaching me about myself? And the third question, uh, was the one that really stood, stood out to me. How can I be faithful in the midst of everything that's happening? Mm. And I thought that was a really mature take on it. It's probably way more mature than what I would have come up with. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, that's a, that's a good that's a that's an interesting story about the challenge of trying to be faithful in the midst of everything and with our personalities and with our drive and with our culture. Uh, but that is really you know the solution if we're moving into that right. is that we we seek to be faithful that we seek to to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Uh, you know, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount on wings like eagles. Uh, you know, that we be patient, that we be about being the, the activities that keep us faithful, uh, that that be our focus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the prayer, the fasting, whatever those things are, the disciplines, if you will, of the faith. Uh, because then we're open to when those holy moments do arrive. Yeah. And we don't just pat, they don't just pass us by because we're so busy uh, working down Mark's list for the week. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is uh, I think that if you are reading the Bible as a narrative, uh, which I, I, I do on the, on those, uh, those gospels, it's really easy to, to kind of say, okay, I'm going to read this like I read a story, right? Well, you get to the part about Simeon and Anna, and you're like, why are they getting away from, you know, the, the arc of the story, right? Like, right. you know, it kind of feels like a, like a detour. But I think God obviously left that in there for a reason, because he wanted to show that these two faithful people um, and how their patience and, and trust in God absolutely paid off, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I get to, you know, they, their, their, their dream, their vision that the Holy Spirit is placed on is fulfilled. And uh, it's, uh, you know, they get to be probably the first people in Jerusalem, maybe, to see the Savior of the world. Yeah. Think about that. 
That, that's yeah. a plaque worth having in your office right there. Yeah, I would uh, I would have that plaque up. <laughs> but but no, all kidding aside, you know, this is truly what goes on because there's all these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and rabbis running around that temple. Right. And they don't even see it. Yeah. And they're they're like us. We're so busy with our stuff. Right. We don't see it. But these two had prepared themselves and been faithful, and they get to see the savior of the world. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they got to hold him, but they may have gotten to even hold the savior of the world. Right. And, you know, what, what's that like? I mean, that <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of mind boggling. I think I'd be ready to die at that point. You know, I think, I think that's, uh, right. And Simeon was, <laughs> he was, he was, and I, and I was not far behind him. I don't think at 84, but anyway, but, uh, yeah, especially in the ancient world, in the ancient yeah. world. I mean, these were really, old people in the ancient world by and large uh, but anyway so uh, so i think you know uh modern solution yeah figuring out how we stay faithful and do it in some sort of ritualized pattern that helps us do it consistently and be consistent and be open and be patient and let the spirit work in us and that's 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 maybe some word for us even in the midst of pandemics and everything else that's going yeah. on in our world uh, you know, we, we want quick and easy and fast solutions, but sometimes I wondered early on in the pandemic, if, if this wasn't a way to slow us down yeah, and make us, make us refocus and rethink. And I don't know that it's done that much for some of us. Some of us just gotten busier. Uh, but anyway, but, uh, yeah. uh, but I think, I think there's a value in the pandemic in that it maybe did slow us down a little bit and make us think about things and maybe hopefully reprioritize and, uh maybe develop some patience in the midst of all this right well yeah i you know and so uh ritual that might be like a kind of a foreign concept to some of our listeners and so uh you know uh where's a good place to start with ritual i i kind of have uh, some preconceived ideas in my head but where would you start if you were just starting off uh making ritual a part of your christian life uh what would you start with you know, I'd, I'd start with some really basic, simple stuff. Uh, I do uh, probably plan a time once or twice a day when I pray. And then maybe I think, you know, this this podcast, I'm not pushing this podcast, but any 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 place where you can have a daily scripture reading mm-hmm. and maybe read scripture and pray and do it on a regular pattern every day. Yeah. And just do that basic stuff. I mean, there's lots of things you can add to that. You can add fast and you can add all these sure. different things. And, th- and those are all great things to do. But I think if we were just starting day one, I'd say read scripture because that's God's word right. and pray. Yeah. And uh, anyway. No, I think that those are the two I would have said as well. And so well, good. Uh, <laughs> we uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a great place for us. I was going to say start, but I think that'd be a good place for us to begin today. So yeah. Wherever you're at, whoever you are, and, and we do have listeners all over the world now for some reason, um, <laughs> we want you to know that we believe that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and that uh, if you put your trust in God, if you are patient with God, then God's Spirit will reveal things to you that you didn't think that you would see. Um, if you're looking for resources to help you 
in your walk with Christ to help you explore the Bible, we recommend our website, unsanctimonious.com. We've got daily scripture readings there. You can also find links to uh, former episodes of this podcast as well. Um, we would also encourage you, and this is a great time of year to do it right after Christmas, is to find a, uh, a worshiping community to be part of, right? Uh, the one thing that uh, I think a, a lot of people have the biggest misconceptions about when it comes to their walk with God is that they can do it alone or that it's meant to be done alone. And there is no version of the Christian faith uh, traditionally and, and scripturally that is a, a detached from Christian community. So uh, please find find some place to call your spiritual home and, and to uh, let, uh, you know, love God, let yourself love God, but also uh, give yourself a space to love people. Mark, you have any words of wisdom you'd like to impart before we leave today? You know, I, I thought of this sort of funny pun that I don't know that's. Uh, <laughs> I anyway, will always this, end on a pun anytime this, we this, can. This could end it out. But anyway, uh, just think of it this way uh, as we think about who we worship and who we honor and who we glorify and who they are and what they became. Uh, Caesar is a salad and Jesus is the <laughs> king of the world. <laughs> that's my favorite pun I've heard all day. Okay. <laughs> and it's not the only one. I, I hear about 70 puns a day. So. <laughs> Anyways, Anyways. We, we love you guys. God bless you. God bless you and uh, happy ending to the end of 2020 and uh, beginning of 2021 is a great time to start down this path with us and continue with us on this journey of faith. We love you all. Yes. Goodbye. Amen and amen. <laughs> <laughs>